0: I'd like to tell you the orphan story, because it's my story too, and it's yours. The beginnings of the rainy season drizzled around us on the day we first met them, that day when we went from strangers to family. After the orphanage director foisted her into my arms, my little girl wrapped her tiny brown hand around the back of my arm. She held on as if with an infant's iron grip. her hand stayed right there. She had a mommy and she wasn't letting go. He knew her back then before we'd met her. The orphan girl lived hungry always. Her distended belly was full of nothing that she needed. Yet buried beneath her empty expression was a flicker of hope. She was hungry for more than just food. As I stand over that plastic test, waiting, expectant for two little lines, only to know myself as barren again, I swallow down the question. It's lost all there is for me. My husband and I roll over, away from each other, each of us desperate to connect, but fumbling to get there. Each of us wanting more of one another, but... Really, more of God. And I'm hungry. He sees me. Home, feeling alone, yet surrounded by a crew under the age of five whose needs are unending. Single, still, with a closet full of bridesmaids' dresses and a deep desire to be known. Who could ever make sense of these gaps in my life? Will I ever feel satisfied? Somewhere in the darkness, I hear a heartbeat. It's his. He's near. My broken story, my hunger itself, invited him. Who would have guessed? And instead of the scorn I expect, I see eyes that dance. My father is delighted in me. Instead of the cold, distant disappointment I'd imagine from him, I can hear his breath. He chooses to be near to me in this one mess of a moment. My pain, my loss, even the repetition of my days serve a purpose. As do yours. As they did for the former orphan girl. Pity in another toward me and toward you, and tempt us to resent our life story. Those very things make us hungry. And the hungry are the up there at the end, and I think we have a couple of slides. We couldn't get us all in one picture, so spread across those two pictures, that's my family. I'm Sarah. I have six children. I, uh, my husband has been muttering under his breath recently because we just had our sixth a few months ago. Six children. Like it's still kind of sinking in. <laughs> How did we end up with this many people in our house? Uh, We adopted our first two children after eight years of marriage from Ethiopia. And then two years later, we adopted our second two children from Uganda. So within two years, our family grew from just the two of us to a family of four, six. Can I do the math, six? It just keeps growing. And then after 13 years of marriage, uh, we had what the medical community so graciously called a geriatric pregnancy. And I gave birth to baby Bo. He's three, but we still call him Baby Bo. He's kind of like our family mascot. My daughter Eden says, Mom, we don't even need a dog anymore. Baby Bo eats off the floor. <laughs> and just a few months ago, I had a little baby Virginia. You might see her around here. My mom's here with her. My mom and one of my daughters is here with her. So there's there's a lot of us. We can't even keep track. I uh, recognize that Mother's Day is very loaded, as Pastor Craig so graciously communicated. I just love when I hear a pastor communicate that kind of hard on Mother's Day. It can be loaded for so many of us. Uh, for me, for many years, I would pull the covers up real high on Mother's Day and stay in bed, send my husband off to church or serve a meal for someone else. I just couldn't be around my friends who were celebrating their families growing when it felt like mine was stuck and still And I realize there's probably a whole gamut in here. So there's some of you who are in a similar place as to I was where Mother's Day is painful and you're kind of wondering, what's she going to say? How might it hurt? What's already there? There might be others of you who are feeling, as Pastor Craig said, even the rift in a relationship with a mother or with a child. There are men in here, (laughs) (laughs) non-moms. There are some of you who have been living for this day. All week you've been going for one day, all my people are going to cater to me. (laughs) So we run the whole gamut. And recognizing that, I want to just pray for us and pray uh, before I even start into this notion that God um, knows each one of our nuanced stories. Everybody walked in here today with a different story and a different history. And there is one set of eyes who actually knows every part of that. So Lord, we just invite you God, to let my words fall away and let your words be the words that we take away. Father, we pray that as uh, holidays can just kind of exacerbate what's underneath the surface, Lord, that we would feel your tender, calloused hands against our heart today. Holy Spirit, that we would feel your eyes on us that we would feel your whispers into us, that parts of your word that have been long dead would come alive in our hearts, God. Amen. So there's one question I want to ask that I think impacts all of us, regardless of where we are, regardless of where, whether I listed kind of where you are or whether I didn't mention it, regardless of where we are, there's one question that I do think applies to all of us, and it's this. How do you think he sees you? How do you think God sees you? I came to terms with this question in kind of a longer over years dialogue with God on the fourth floor of Martha Jefferson Hospital in Charlottesville, Virginia. Nate and I had been married for several years and we were watching our friends have their first, second, some third baby. Um, when it was just the two of us, and the fourth floor was the birthing floor of Martha Jefferson Hospital. I felt like I needed a frequent flyer card because I was there so often. And I was visiting one particular friend who just had her baby, and she was telling me about her labor and delivery, of which I didn't have a whole lot that I could relate to, but I said to her, so do you think you'd do it again? And she said, well, yeah. I mean, it's like a rite of passage. And her words just sunk into my heart because her rite of passage was a do not enter sign for me. And so I left her hospital room and walked down the hall and got in the elevator and went down to the parking garage, and I started a dialogue with God that went something like this. When I feel stuck, when it feels like this one area of my life that I've been praying and asking you to move is not moving, When I feel unnoticed, as my friends have their babies, how do you see me? What do you see, God, when you look at Sarah Hagerty? I think the answer to this question reveals a lot about how we see our relationship with him. I'm going to ask it in a different way, um, just to maybe stir up what's going on on the inside. How do you picture his face when he looks at you? How do you picture his face when he looks at you when you are bathing your child with special needs in the shower? Or when you're going to your third medical visit, medical for your, for your mother or for your child in a week? How do you picture his face towards you when you're clocking in at the same job you've been doing for years without a promotion and under a hard boss who's not recognizing you? How do you picture his face towards you when you're cleaning up another set of toys only to know that in an hour you're gonna be cleaning them up all over again? So his word has a lot of things in it about how he sees us that I'll be honest, I have a hard time believing. This question actually reveals a real disconnect between what his word says and what I struggle to believe. I'm gonna read you just a couple of these. And I'll read them slow to just let them sink in because maybe your wrestle is similar to mine. Psalm 1819 says, He delivered me because he delighted in me. Psalm 149 4 says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Zephaniah 3 17 says, He will rejoice over you with singing. That's God and i read it in a different translation he will rejoice over you with joy he will quiet you in his love making no mention of your past sins he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy psalm 36:5 says your mercy towards me and towards my failings reaches to the heavens Could it be that the places of our day and the spaces of our lives where we feel stuck and also unseen and unnoticed by sometimes even the closest people in our world, even our closest friends, are the ones that are actually an invitation from God to have a perspective adjustment and to see what he really sees when he looks at us? and to actually begin to believe what his word says about his tenderness towards us. I wanna tell you about a woman who had his eye and a miracle that happened, and it may be a story that many of you are familiar with, um, but, and there's one obvious miracle in here, but I might suggest that there's a second under the surface miracle that I think would speak to us today on this Mother's Day. She's a lot like me, and I, I might venture to say she's a lot like you too. Luke 8, 42 says, but as he went, and this is talking about Jesus, the multitudes thronged him. So Jesus is completely surrounded by people. This is is when he was really famed. So people are wanting things from him, jostling him. He's not just in a crowd. He's the subject of the crowd, and everybody wants a piece of him. But her... Now it says this about this woman, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. So this is the woman I wanna talk about. Let's picture her for a minute. Those of you who have struggled with a chronic illness acutely know the pain of uh, waking up every day and feeling your ache. Sometimes we have emotional ache, but when it's a physical ache, you know what it feels like day in, day out to struggle with something that is unanswered. The other part of her story is that her condition was sort of this medical conundrum. So she spent all of her resources trying to figure out the answer and nobody had answers for her. For 12 years, no one had answers for her. So some of you who have been in a situation like that, whether it be physically or emotionally, where you feel stuck and nobody's got answers, you can relate. There's a personal ache around, man, I've been going around this block, not just for months, but for years, and this was her. And then there's the other layer of isolation. Her particular condition made her ceremonially unclean, so there, there, there was isolation there. Other Jewish people who knew her condition could not be around her, yet she here she is in this crowd. But then there's also the layer of like, what did this do for her parents? You think they were patient with her after 12 years when someone in that society with that condition really could have brought shame on their family? What about her friends? Some of you may know the real struggle of being stuck in a place and how that can be isolation because you know your friends have endurance for like a couple months or maybe a couple of years but like 12 years, really? Have you been there feeling misunderstood or unknown or unseen? I can say this was me for 12 years. Baby showers only exacerbated that. I would spend time with other women who were getting celebrated for moving through rites of passage that I just couldn't access and I felt unknown. I watched other people experience what I knew to be the goodness of God and I grappled with is he good to me as I wait. Currently, I feel a little bit of this. I got six kids, so eight hours in a day. Most of them go undocumented. Those of you who are moms with young kids, you can relate. No one's counting the diapers that you change or the loads of laundry that you carry up and down the stairs. Currently, the way my laundry works, oftentimes I'm carrying it up the stairs, looking at the load going, I think I just washed this yesterday. Moms of maybe some teenagers can relate, hey, I could stick it in my drawer or I could just put it right back in the laundry bin for mom to wash again. There's many of us that, and outside of motherhood, those of you men in here, you know the reality of sticking it out with a job that's either physically intensive labor or it's mentally taxing and people aren't necessarily knowing or recognizing how much you're investing. Students in the same way, four years of investing in school and your grades are the only thing to show for the hours you put in studying. So this is her, and honestly it's us because I think the ache of being unseen is pretty universal. So she reaches. Luke eight forty four 44 says this. She came from behind and touched the border of his garment. I mean, if you guys can just picture this, right? It's a massive crowd of people, and she's doing everything she can to push through and touch the bottom of his cloak, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Mark, the Gospel of Mark says this, for she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. This is the reach that gets a response. She was desperate. Love gets forged in these weak reaches, but we try so desperately never to get there because we really hate being weak. Can you relate? We try not to acknowledge the pain that we feel in being unseen or unknown. I mean, we've got so many avenues nowadays with social media to make our minutes known, right? So we don't ever have to face that ache. Or we can try harder at a certain something so that we might make do some big accomplishment that would get noticed or acknowledged. Or we want to just sit down with that girlfriend and explain everything that we're struggling with so she really, really gets it. We really hate being weak. We hate being in this place that actually this woman was in that had her love grow, which was the weak reach for God. We despise weakness. And yet, here's what God's word says about it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It's kind of interesting. Paul says this about this thing that if we're really honest, we kind of hate. Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. His power is made perfect in weakness. So here's the invitation for us it's for the desperate and weak reach. It's not just to get in the place of weakness or allow ourselves to acknowledge the place of weakness and grump about it or become cynical or try our best to climb our way out of it. I mean, barrenness for me was one thing. I couldn't get myself out of that place. Some of you can relate to, I have tried everything and I cannot climb out of this. And here's the invitation is don't climb out. Reach. Reach. Give him the desperate reach. Don't clean up your act first before you go to God. Take that place of weakness and from that place say, if I could only touch the corner of his cloak, everything will be better. Most of the time when I don't reach out of the weak place, it's honestly because I don't believe what his word says about how kind he is to me. How tender he is to me. How much he likes me at three o'clock in the afternoon when I'm doing the dishes or I'm scrubbing the bathroom floor. How much he loves me when I'm loving a kid who is not loving me back. And I'm reaching into her heart again. How much he delights in me when my husband's having a rough time and instead of bristling against him, I reach in, I lean in. Back to the story, Luke 8, 45 and 46 says this. Jesus said, so she reached, right? And immediately the flow of blood stopped and Jesus said, who touched me? Right, he's like, this is sort of my worst nightmare in amusement park, right? Tons of people crowding him. Everybody's touching him and he stops and he says, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, ah, master, the multitudes throng and press you and you say who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. So here she is, she's desperate, but she's in a crowd of hundreds maybe. And Jesus saw her. The woman who had been hidden and isolated and unknown and shunned, all of a sudden got the eyes of the Son of God. Luke 8, 47 and 48 says this, and this is my favorite part. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden. Have you had a moment like that? Where you feel like nobody knows the X, Y, Z. The time that I'm putting in at this job, and none of my work is getting credited back to me. Nobody knows the time that I'm putting, taking care of this sick child or this sick parent. And yet, all of a sudden, here for this woman, she had a turning point. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden. She was hidden by her pa- from her parents, probably. She was hidden from her friends. She was hidden from society, but all of a sudden, the one who noticed her was the one who would change her whole life in a day. And it's those eyes of fire that changed her. It says, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Imagine the isolation that she felt and kind of the way everybody probably taught her to hush-hush her story. And here all of a sudden, in a minute, she comes and she declares in front of everybody. It's that much of a reality for her that she was seen. And what it did to her is she told everybody and he said to her, and Jesus said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now I realize this may be loaded for some of us. who my, my father has passed away, for some of us whose fathers aren't here, who had rough relationships with our fathers. But there is an invitation here to hear the voice of God call us by a name that honestly would really change us forever if we heard it and continue to hear it. In the unseen moments of our day, he called her daughter. Daughter, I'm sticking it out with you. Daughter, I'm not gonna leave you. Daughter, I made you and I like what I made. Daughter, I'm gonna protect you. Daughter, you don't need to be afraid anymore. I'm here in the crowd of hundreds she was the only one that he called daughter because of her weak reach her weak reach the kind that we hate the one we don't want to give put her in the presence of God so that she could hear the son of God look her in the eyes and hear him with his voice call her daughter could that be the real miracle. Not just that her physical ailment was over, but that this woman heard the voice of God in her direction with a lilt in his voice calling her daughter and seeing all the pain of her story. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have adopted. We adopted our first two children when they were one and three. And while we were in Ethiopia, we got a tour of the orphanage where they had been and there was a girl there giving a tour Um, giving us the tour. She's maybe 9, 10, 11. And it was clear that this is just what she did. Families came to pick up their babies, and she gave them the run of the orphanage, kind of told them what their children had been experiencing. She wasn't going anywhere. And she looked at me with these eyes that said, take me home. Because she knew most of the parents were coming for the babies. So we got home from Ethiopia and I said to my husband, we have to go back for her, not just her as that person, but that type of child, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, who's typically not adopted, who may spend all of their life orphaned. And so two years later we went back and we kind of broke all the adoption rules, we trumped the birth order, we adopted four in two years, it was sort of crazy, they, they were five and seven. And out of our four children, some quite literally had no concept of what it meant to be in a family. We were teaching them, this is what a mom does, this is what a dad does. Things that we take for granted that our biological children just know, our children didn't. We had to teach them. So there was one night that I was coming up the stairs, and I see my husband climb onto the top bunk where one of my daughters is sleeping, and he, he's, he's tucking her in bed and he takes one arm and puts it around his neck and he takes her other arm and he puts it around his neck and he's got his arms around her and he says, Hopi, this is what daddies and daughters do. She's kind of like devolving into giggles, which is her nervous way of saying, I'm totally uncomfortable with this. This is very unfamiliar. And he's looking in her eyes and he's like, I love you. This is what daddies and daughters do. And it dawned on me as I saw that, that we're not all that different than my children. Some of us at 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 still need to learn what daddies and daughters do. Still need to have that look in our eyes. That look from him in our eyes. Still need to acknowledge that he puts his arms around us. When we see his eyes for us, that moment can shift in an instant. Another load of laundry really doesn't matter, does it? When we get his eyes on us. Another day at a laborious job where we're not getting recognized when we know the Son of God is whispering in our ear on the morning commute, I see you and I love how you're pouring out here. We can do another day. Another day in a hard marriage where we feel unseen by our spouse, but we hear the whisper of God saying, I see the way you love her, or you love him, even though they're not receiving it. Doesn't that make you feel like you can sign up for another day in that marriage? Another one of our children when we actually, we had to live in Uganda for about six weeks while we were preparing to bring our children home. And another one of our children is—we uh, were just acclimating to be in a family in the context of being in Uganda. Every time Nate would hold her and draw her close, she would vomit on him. And it—it it, it was funny to me as a spouse, and then it wasn't so funny anymore because <laughs> you're in Africa and it's a long time, and showers are few and far between. But what—what what it was. What it revealed is really the same state of our own hearts. This love of God is invasive. It's uncomfortable. It gets in our face. It doesn't necessarily feel natural. Sometimes it does make us want to vomit. We don't know what to do with this God that is so close and so tender, and so inviting, and so seeing every single one of our unseen moments and having words for us there. But we were made for the desperate reach that invites that love. So what's the hard thing in your life right now? It's maybe calling forth that desperate reach that says, I have to have your eyes on me, God. Think for a minute, what is that hard thing? Is it something related to Mother's Day? I don't know if I've even mentioned yet. Some of you are moms with young ones and it feels tireless, like unending, like you gotta get up and do Monday again tomorrow <laughs> and the next day and the next day. There's a bedtime every day. <laughs> what is it for you? What is that awkward, uncomfortable place where you're feeling unseen and unknown that is actually calling forth the desperate reach that says, God, I have to have your eyes on me? In that one instant, she was the only one in the crowd who heard the mouth of Jesus call her daughter. Everybody else got close to him, Everybody else saw what he looked like, heard what he said. Everybody maybe encountered him doing miracles. She was the only one that heard him say, daughter to her. Renamed her the only one. There was one morning recently, I've had a child who's been struggling. And those of you who have children or multiple children know that it's kind of like whack-a-mole. Isn't that the case all the time, right? It's part of growing these children up training them up in the Lord so I had a child who's struggling and I was up in the morning before the rest of my crew was up kind of just pacing the house and praying and just crying out to God for this one child break into her heart God move in her and as I pause for a minute I've got his word in my hand and I'm praying his word over here her I feel this nudge on the inside from the Lord like hey can we make this about you and me and not just about you and her. It was the invitation. Hey, you might feel stuck with her, but Sarah, can we talk about you and me and how I see you and how I see your outpouring to her and how I give you strength to do it again another day and how I whisper to you when nobody's looking and nobody knows what it's like to be raising these six children all of a sudden that whole situation changes. If it's about me and God, I can do it another day. If it's about his eyes on me when nobody's looking, I'll sign up again if I can get those eyes on me. How often are we asking what do you see God when you look at me? And honestly, how often are we letting his word inform our thinking? I really, I can read his word to my kids, I can read it to myself, I can put it up on the wall, I can hand letter it, but when it boils down to it, I wrestle to believe the truth of his word, that he likes me. There was one particular night that I was working with a child on, um, we do a little habit of adoration where we say God's word back to him, we work it into our hearts by praying with, our, with God's word and we say it back to him. So we were adoring over Psalm 18, 19 that I had at the beginning. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And this particular child is very good at art. So I kind of kept her up past the rest of her siblings and I said, let's hand letter this. Like, let's, let's draw this out. And she's drawing it out. He delivered me because he delighted me. And as she is, I'm just feeling like I need to tell her how God sees her and I'm, I'm saying to her, you know, God loves you. God loves how you your art. God loves how you love your siblings. God loves your smile. And then I'm realizing I gotta get a little little bit more personal here. And I said, you know, God really likes when you ride your bike in the rain with your rain boots on. God likes when you're dancing in the kitchen and singing and you think nobody's noticing. God likes when you belt out music in the shower. He really likes you. She's, I can tell, slowly warming, like, no, this couldn't be so. And she looks at me and she says, Mommy, am I the only one on the planet who has a hard time believing that God likes me? I said, Oh, baby girl, no. It's the struggle of all humanity. He has eyes on you that no one sees, and he wants to tell you what he sees there. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we've landed here on Mother's Day with this ever unfolding gift for anyone, no matter who you are in the room, whether you're a mom ready to like fully celebrate this day and get pampered, or whether you walked in here wondering if you even wanted to be here because, in fact, it is Mother's Day. We have this gift of his eyes and this invitation to go. There's uncomfortable and difficult circumstances in our life that aren't actually just there to make us stuck. We can reach from those places and say to him, I'm desperate to have your eyes on me. This is the invitation today to have a fresh look at God's eyes on us To even say a prayer that I pray often, I barely know you God, I barely know you. Show me who you are, show me how you see me. It's in that whispered and hushed conversation where we give a weak, weak reach and we receive the miracle, the true thing that changes us. And that's his eyes on us. So let's let today be an invitation into that conversation. I'm going to pray for us now. And as I do, I'd love for you just to call to mind, maybe quiet your heart for just a minute and ask the Lord if there's one area of your life where you feel particularly unseen and unknown that he might want to speak into. So Lord, I just ask that you would bring those places and spaces that we want to avoid, bring those to the forefront of our mind. And Father, we just ask that you would give us your whisper there, that a phrase from your word, even from today, a look at your eyes. Jesus, we thank you that your eyes are so tender to us. We thank you that you like us. We thank you that you enjoy the things in our lives that nobody else sees or knows. We thank you that you have whispers for us at the 8.30 a.m. morning commute and 5 p.m. serving dinner. We thank you, God, that you can take the mundane of motherhood and make it beautiful because of your eyes on us. And God, I just ask that we would have a fresh perspective on your eyes on us today. We love you, God. Amen.
1: Thank you, uh, Sarah, for that. I think that through the meekness and the humility there, we've heard the still, small voice of the Spirit of God uh, remind us how God sees us. Our prayer for you is that you take that message into this week, that you realize that whatever uh, comes your way, He does see you, He does know you, and more importantly, He loves you. And he's demonstrated that to you through sending his son, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit has come down to speak that still small word of assurance that we need. And we're mindful that in a message like this, a deep work that happens in our hearts, if at the end of the service, you'd like someone to pray with you, or do have a team of people at the front who'd be delighted to do that. At the same time, some of you may well need a little bit more privacy for that. If that's your experience, then you can go out of the doors just off to uh, the right of the auditorium here. There is a prayer room, and uh, we have a team of people there who would delight, be delighted to pray for you. Please make the most of that opportunity. And uh, we are mindful that uh, you want to get out to lunch and other things before you do, though just a few things. Sarah does have an incredible book, uh, All Better Things Are Sweet. It's going to be available outside in the lobby. At the same time, we have a team of photographers that are there that will be delighted to just bless those of you who are here with family, and with the photograph, make the most of that. One item of business on Sunday, May the 21st, we do have the vote for the approval of the budget and the slate of elders, and just be aware of that on May the 21st. And uh, next Sunday, we begin a new series entitled uh, The Space Between, which uh, Steve Norman, our new teaching pastor, will kick off for three weeks, and Brad Gray will come in on June the 11th, and then Steve and I will alternate. It's going to be a great series. Honestly, with next Sunday, I feel relieved. Uh, I feel that this is going to be just an excellent uh, season uh, for our church. So make the most of that, obviously, as well. I'm teaching the With God class for many of us don't know our way around the Bible. And it's one thing to hear that God speaks, but it's quite another thing to be able to know how God speaks to us through his word. So I'm going to be delighted to take four weeks just to go through that in our nine o'clock hour as well. So make a note of that. Thank you for being here. Stand with me as we pray to dismiss. I pray you'd have a glorious day today. I pray that the sun that is shining outside would just be an incredible blessing to you. But as you leave this place, I pray that you would just sense that spirit of God whispering to you that your father sees you. And wherever you go, whatever you do, go in grace, go in peace, knowing that he goes with you. Have a great week. Thank you for worshiping with us. We see you all again next week. God bless.